Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... I am Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome indeed. Have you melted this week? I am currently in a state of melt. Mm, good. Puddle on the floor, yes? I'm hot and bothered. Yes. For, for, for anyone that isn't within the UK or anyone that is in the UK but not listening at the time of release, we're currently in some kind of satanic heat wave. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, where I am, it's, it's 30 degrees, which to a lot of people listening probably isn't that much. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's but probably we're just not used there. to it. We're not used to it in this country. <laughs> we just can't cope. Yeah. So we're British. We're used to rain and plain. Used to rain and very little else. Yeah, ju- literally just, just a light drizzle and that's it. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been hiding from the sun most of this week, really. Um, it's, it's a bit too much, isn't it? It is, it is. But it, what's a boy to it, do? Are everything there... that we do just takes double the energy of the <laughs> Alas, we soldier on because we are consummate professionals, as we often mention on the episodes. So, this week we've been playing a game that we said we'd play a while ago, quite similar to uh, Devil May Cry. Um, we, sh- we just didn't get around to it last time. But this week we've been playing Braid. Now, Braid originally came out in August 2008. It has a Metacritic score of 93, and it comes in at number 94 on the list. So this is um, this is one of the, the very famous indie games, um, and we'll go into that in a little bit, really. But firstly, what were your initial thoughts of this game? Yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, it's a bit different from other games we've been playing. Yeah. recently and throughout the list and yeah had a good time with it um i'm not quite sure where i'd rate it overall but yeah i, I did enjoy this one it's an interesting game i mean we've not played a game on the podcast up to this point that's made me feel a bit more stupid than this one has um <laughs> apart it... from um our good friend uh, groom fandango well yes our good friend manny um but yeah, I, I enjoyed this game too. It's um it's a very peculiar game and it's got a lot of kind of thematic resonance running through it as well as quite cool game um game aspects. So firstly, where where did you play this? I played this on my Xbox Series X. Played the uh, this is a strange game for for whatever reason it's not out on that many platforms no so i played the xbox 360 version backwards compatible on the series x but i mean i would have played this on my switch or on other things if i could have done but for some reason they don't want to re-release this game yeah well i mean i I saw um on youtube that there was a direct a nintendo direct a while ago where they they suggested that braid was coming to the switch but there's been no mention of it ever since not really sure mm. what's gone on there, but I'm with you. This game would have been ideal to play on the Switch, um, but alas, uh, you played it on the Xbox. I started it on my Xbox One X um, when we were originally going to do it about three or four months ago, um, but 
as I mentioned in the Devil May Cry episode, I'm having issues with my Xbox at the moment and the Microsoft Store, so I ended playing this on Steam. So, speaking of Steam, obviously Steam is a place where all of the games ever are. Every every single game, every game that you can think of, it's on Steam. Custer's Revenge, it's on Steam. I, I don't think it is on Steam. But yeah, I think it might be missing some <laughs> some significant titles. But um, this game really, so I, I always link Steam with obviously with, with Valve, but I always think of Steam as like unique indie games. And we we've mentioned a few indie games on this podcast before. The biggest one probably being Minecraft. However, and um, World of Goo we touched on, and then a couple of others, I think. Maybe one or two others. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, with Minecraft, I think we said that came out in about 2009, 2010, 11, didn't it? Like the, the pre-alphas came out late, late noughties. Um, yeah. And then the, um, the, the full game came out in like 2010, 2011, I think. But, Braid came out before this. So we mentioned that Braid came out in 2008. And this game, I'd say arguably, was a huge deal for indie titles. Before Braid and two other games that came out around the same time, indie games weren't really considered mainstream. But I feel that this game really pushed the indie scene forwards quite a lot i mean what what do you think about that oh we, we discussed in the world of goo episode that which came out around the same time this was a, this was a period of time where um indies were really starting to shine and you get a few indie games on the metacritic top 100 list and they tend to be from around that period and it just suggests that this was the time when indie games were really flourishing and that would explain why they appear on the list. I mean, it's interesting because it, it raises an interesting question about if this game or if World of Goo or some other indie games that may appear on the list came out in 2021, would they make the list? Um, I'm not necessarily convinced they would. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but... I just think that we've grown a lot more used to indie games and there yeah. are a lot of quality indie games and it's really sometimes hard to say which one is better than other ones. For sure. I mean, when this game came out, I think I think we might have even watched it together. Um, did, do you remember yeah. in, Indie Game the Movie? Yeah. It, it was on Netflix. Was I don't know if it's still on there, but we're, we're going back to about 2012, 2013 that we probably Phil watched Fish. that film. Um, yeah, Phil Fish. So, for anyone that doesn't know, Indie Game the Movie focuses on the development and run-up to release of three major indie game titles. One of them being Braid, which was created by Jonathan Blow. The other being Super Meat Boy. I can't remember the name of the developer on that one, but they were called Team Meat. And the yeah. third one being Fez, which was developed by Phil Fish, who lives in infamy within gaming culture now. And... Those three games, I've not played. I've not played Super Meat Boy, but I have played a lot of Fez, and I think Fez is an incredible game. Again, it's another game that makes me feel stupid, but it's a very clever, cool, it's a common theme, quirky isn't it? game. 
what the I haven't seen of these indie games. games. No, no, these indie games to make you feel stupid. I know it's it's because they're not AAA and they're not trying to do microtransactions. There's actually some thought. Yeah, behind it's them. true. Yeah, there's um, something to be said about that as well. Well, quite. Now, interestingly, I think the only other game that Jonathan Blow, creator of Braid, has made is a game called. It's also Witness. a game that makes you feel stupid. It makes me feel even stupider. Is is the Witness? Have you played the Witness? I haven't, but I've heard. I've heard very mixed things some very very positive some saying that that the witness is a game that everyone should look at but never play <laughs> so I yeah I, like I'd, I think i think i'd quite like it as well but um it it does look i mean there's something easily accessible about braid in that it's a 2d side scroller and there's only it feels like there's only so many options or solutions available to you as we'll come to discuss i'm sure that 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 kind of isn't always the case but in the witness it's three-dimensional and it (laughs) looks very intimidating well yeah i mean funnily enough i think i've probably mentioned it on this podcast before that i watched um, a few videos on youtube by a guy that um, did an experiment with his girlfriend that doesn't play video games where he got her to play some you know big games like um breath of the wild and the biggest issue that she came across was using the camera in 3D games. And one of one of my ex-girlfriends, she uh, one of her favourite games ever is Fez, which is obviously a, a two, 2D isometric puzzle game. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, you, you're into puzzle games. You're into kind of that kind of vibe and indie games. Why don't you try The Witness? And she liked it, but she just couldn't get her head around the, the camera. And I think that games like Braid, 2D games, are so much more accessible for non-gamers than indie games or AAA games that put in a full 3D world because they then don't have to worry about the camera if it's just a 2D side-scroller. It's just a case of moving forward and you know getting to grips with the mechanics rather than all of that and also fighting with the camera. I imagine it's very similar that that feeling to my feelings of when i was playing super mario 64 well i was was gonna say that that third dimension was problematic back in the mid 90s and it proves problematic to new players in 2021 because yeah it's something that you and i and other people that play games regularly have just gotten used to i mean I, i i can pick up a game and i don't even think about the controls unless there's some funny mapping layout um yeah it's 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 a strange thing and uh, i think we take it for granted a bit yeah 100 percent. so with that being said obviously braid is um braid's got some very interesting mechanics in there but it's a much simpler game to pick up than something like the witnesses so briefly do you want to go into what the plot of this game is yeah so you're a character called tim good name and a suit-wearing gentleman. (laughs) With a very nice hairdo. With a very, very nice hairdo. Um, (laughs) And you kind of just um, dump straight into the game and you kind of get bits and pieces of the story and um, there are books that you can read and they kind of have elements of present day and also this kind of medieval knights and dragons kind of realm um and you're putting together p- 
pictures and you're trying to basically work out what's going on and you're trying to, this is the key, um, borrowed or rather riffed on um, the theme of Super Mario Bros. Um, you're trying to save the princess. We've done it a thousand times in games. and She's always it, in another castle. Yeah, and it looks like this, this game is following that formula. Uh, every time you get to the end of a... There are, there are six worlds. Um, although there are five worlds plus the ending world, which is very short, and there isn't a world one, I don't think. Um, no, you but start they, they, world two. Yeah, so they call it... They, they say there are six worlds. But you progress through the worlds, and you get to the end, and your dinosaur friend comes along, looks a bit like Charmander, uh, come, comes along and uh, says to you that the princess is another castle. They really play with this, and there's some really... This game has great writing, great dialogue, um, just very enigmatic and very fun and just enjoyable to read. Um, and you keep doing that, and eventually you get to the final world, and there's... I mean, spoilers here for anyone that hasn't played it. Um, you're presented a fantastic level where you are playing everything and it looks like you are finally catching up with the princess. The princess is there. You're following her. It looks like she's laying out the path for you to help you get to her and she's being chased by this knight. And then you get to the end of the level and you realise that you've been playing the level in reverse and then you get to see the actual level um, playing in the actual, not not in reverse, basically, uh, in normal, uh, resumed fashion. And it turns out that the princess was trying to stop you from getting to her, uh, trying to stop you from catching her and detaining her, and was running towards the knight that you think was chasing her. And then she escapes with the knight. And it turns out that you are the monster that has been keeping the princess captive and yeah it just turns the idea on its head it sounds like a quite quite a juvenile twist when you say it out loud but that level is brilliant and, and I, I said to you just to, just to play that level because it's just so so well done when you when you realize what's going on i mean i'm going to remember that level for a long time just so clever um yeah so that, that, that's, that's basically it and it's obviously improved by fantastic writing um and clever and fun dialogue yeah 100 percent. this is a game that i i'd had it spoiled for me years ago uh before i ever knew that i was going to play it i just knew that there was the twist at the end and i'd already seen the level play out but it does hit you quite differently when you actually play it yourself and i, I quite like the twist in this game because a big thing that kind of links in with the plot with what Dan was just saying there with you know um, you, you, you run through the final level first but then you realise it was in reverse that links in with the main mechanic of Braid which is uh, time manipulation and each world that you go into will give you a new skill that you can use to manipulate time. One of the things that I like about this game is that there isn't ever a world where you're using your different time manipulation skills on certain puzzles. It's like Okay, you do World 2, and then as soon as you finish World 2, that time manipulation skill that you've been using in the second world is gone. You've now got to get, yeah. get to grips with an entirely new one. Because 
this game's got some really complicated and difficult puzzles. Um, and if you were having to come up with, you know, five or six different manipulation skills to try and work out things, it, it would make everything so much longer and so much more drawn out. But at its core, this game is a platformer that messes with your expectations of what a platformer is. So it's got the Prince of Persia kind of vibe that if you were to fall down a hole, you can just immediately rewind time and correct your mistake. But then as the game goes along, things get a bit more complicated that you can go somewhere, then start reversing time and then a shadow comes out and the shadow can um, get to areas that you weren't able to reach or you can slow down time in very specific areas in, in like a ring. There, there's a lot to this game and it can get quite complex and it can, as I said at the start, make you feel quite stupid. But once you manage to solve some of the more difficult puzzles, it is is very rewarding. You feel like you've, you know, you're the smartest person in the world because this isn't an easy game. Um, you know, it's a game that will really make you think, isn't it? It's it's interesting you say that. Um, I want to pick up on something you said, which is um, you mentioned Prince of Persia, and I um, I was watching a video and it kind of went into an interview with Jonathan Blow. And when Prince of Persia came out, there were certain people from the design community that were saying, well, if the player can rewind time, that completely overrules the kind of win-loss. Removes the stakes. Yeah, uh, removes the stakes from, from a game. And you can just rewind time and undo everything you've just done. So, you, yeah, it just... Un, un, it just makes things very easy. And Jonathan Blow said, well, what if we can use this rewind mechanic, but actually, what if we then change it, turn it on its head, and see how we can actually add wrinkles to this and make it not that so that it's easy, but you use this rewind mechanic, and actually, it doesn't always benefit you. And certain things may stay in real time, certain things may rewind, and what you said about the different levels is true um so they're each they're each designed or each world is designed around a particular mechanic and they're really intricately designed around this mechanic um so you know going into world five that i can't remember what the what the gimmick for world five was but you know that you're going to be using a very particular mechanic and you're going to need that to to unlock the puzzle pieces that you need to progress but i think if you had all of your powers let's call them um for all the levels actually some of the puzzles would be made incredibly easy yeah because some of those uh powers enable you to get more height they enable you to rewind time in such a fashion that actually some of the puzzle pieces would be so easy to get to so it's really important and i think intrinsic to the game that each level or each world was designed around this one mechanic and you can only use that one mechanic within that world. So by the final level of the world, you've become pretty adept at using that mechanic and then it's stripped away from you. Mm. It's very clever stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's a cool concept. It's like, okay, you're comfortable with this. Well, you got to say bye to it now and you're back to square one and you've got to learn something else. I mean, the, the, the time manipulation and the different skills you pick up are really the main mechanic of the game i'd say but speaking of that 
it takes us quite nicely into gameplay as king. So for you, what would you say is your favourite move in this game? Um, I think so. This game is a puzzle platformer. So yeah, the other the other aspect of the game is is the platforming, which is generally quite fun as well. I mean, it's not Mario. It's a bit um a bit slower than Mario, and it doesn't give that instant kind of gratification that Mario gives you. But there's there's a there's a move that you can do where um you might have two enemies in your path, and you jump on one enemy's head, and you get a bit of a boost in your jump. Then you land on the second enemy's head from that jump, and you get even more of a boost, and it might might give you the chance to get to a higher platform or something, and that's a fun one to do. Um, so there's there's this platforming element that isn't necessarily easy. There are some tricky platforming sections to do, and it plays quite nicely with the puzzle element. So I'd say I'd say that just 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 doing some of the moves that you can do which you don't necessarily know that you can do until you've uh, experimented a bit. Yeah. I mean, How about you? I, I think my, my favorite one was the one that, that, that my favorite move was the one that came in. I think it was like the, the second to last chapter with the, the magic ring. Oh, yeah. um, Cause it kind of, it screws with the flow of time around the ring itself. So everything around that ring is still running properly. Um, but I think that's when the you final move into world it, actually. Hmm? Oh, apart from apart from the ending world, yeah, it's final world. So it's yeah, I, I think I think that that one was quite quite well thought out, and because you can also still rewind time normally in that world, I found there were a lot of lot of things to play with. Um, but that aside, similar to what you said with it, it being a good platformer, this game does work well as a platformer it feels very satisfying to play and it isn't the best platforming you'll ever play because it isn't just focused on platforming well it's not it's not twitch platforming is it it's no it's it's supposed to to get you to yeah and it's supposed to get you to think before you make the jump that you make you're not you're not supposed to kind of do it as instinct as other platformers teach you to do i mean Celeste is coming up. We're going to be doing Celeste soon. That is a game where if you think too much, you're dead. Um, you really need to embed that skill set in you, otherwise you're dead. Um, so that's a, it's it's another indie game that completely opposite end of the spectrum. And but here, you're supposed to time calculate your jumps before you do them. So it's a very calculated platformer. Yeah, and it, and it and it is fun and responsive and nicely animated. Everything's got. Everything feels like it belongs in the world. Like there's no spare parts. Yeah. Would would do you, do you think then that this game's fun? Yeah, definitely. I I agree. It's like I said, it's a it's a head scratcher for sure, and will leave you very frustrated at times. But it never left me frustrated enough to like stop playing. And as no. as we got towards the um, I think I got to world world four or world five on my own but then the the last chapter or the last two chapters i can't remember i had to use a walkthrough just to get through it to um you know to finish it for the for the podcast because i was running out of time but overall this is the kind of game that i don't think you can just play and not think about like you can't just turn it on and have some mindless fun with it but if you're really in the mood for a game like this you're going to have a really good time with it because it is designed so well do you know what i mean 
Yeah, I think with each of the worlds, there, there comes a, a point or a level early on because they start off quite simply mm. and they're just teaching you slowly the mechanics of it. But they become, there comes a point where something happens within the world and you have to, you, you can't, something clicks. This is what, what would happen for me. And you think, okay, um, I'm going to start playing the, the level and I've realized that there's a, there's a barrier that comes down very early on in the level. So what I need to do is somehow manipulate time to get on the other side of that barrier so that I can get the puzzle piece. And once you've got that in your repertoire, you start to be able to apply it to puzzles later on. So once I worked out that initial mechanic and what, I mean, I say the gimmick of the world, but it's not its not really a gimmick, but it's, it's the thing that makes that world unique. Um, once you work that out and you start to apply it, that's when I found that the game got fun because it was then a case of, okay, I know what tools are at my disposal. I can see that puzzle piece. How am I going to get there? And then it may take some time. I mean, I, I sat on certain puzzles for probably about 20 minutes at a time. Mm just working out how to get there and then you work it out and you think oh this is yeah this is just really clever and sometimes you'll try things and you don't expect them to work and they do work sometimes you'll try different methods and they don't work um it's just it's a clever puzzler and i had to i had to look i think about twice in the playthrough i looked things up and then afterwards it clicks um i mean there are some puzzles that i think um are a bit not necessarily fair like there's one puzzle where you have to be in a very certain position and you realize that if an enemy lands on your head the enemy gains a jump boost as well and then you have to manipulate it so that your shadow is at the yeah. bottom the enemy lands on the shadow's head gets a jump boost and then you land on the enemy's head and then get the jump boost from the enemy to get the puzzle piece and the only way you're going to figure that out is if you're standing, you happen to be standing below an enemy at a very particular point in a particular level. And I don't think the game really um, suggests that that would be the case or gives you the breadcrumbs you need to do that. So I thought that one was a bit devious. But yeah, generally speaking, I think the puzzle design is excellent. Yeah, it, it is. And it is, it, it's very satisfying to play. And when you work out something like that, like when you know the the enemies kind of get a, a a jump as well, when you work stuff out like that, you feel really smart, and that's really satisfying to do because it isn't very many games where you're like, yeah, I work that out, and I feel, I feel like I've achieved something with that. Like, you know, it, it's it's hard to put put your finger on. But we've the, there's one main issue that I have with this game. And we've been quite generous to it so far. So have you got any kind of criticisms that stand out? Um, it's, it's, I mean, there, there, there are things that I wouldn't necessarily say are criticisms, but there are things that I'd say would detract from it maybe being in the top 100. There are things that other games do better, I think. Um, but I mean, I, I don't, I think it's a it's quite a short game, mm. um, and I think, as I said, I think some of the puzzles, a couple of the puzzles, are a bit unfair to the player. But generally speaking, I think it's fair. I don't think there's a glaring issue, but what do you think? Well, my my main issue 
is what you mentioned that the game's quite short and to be fair this game came out in 2008 when indie games weren't really a, a huge deal but we're now well 12 13 years on from when this game released and this is a short game but the price that it is to buy for the amount of game you get i still think this game's quite expensive I was expecting to pay maybe. Four, so you play five you, you played it on Steam and you paid how much? Uh, just over ten quid. Yeah, because it's, it's it's a bit cheaper on the Xbox, so it's six pound. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and obviously, we're talking about it thirteen years later, mm. and it would have been more expensive back in the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, that doesn't take anything away from it, but just kind of. I'm glad you said thought. it though, because you you got me. You just got me thinking there. I mean, this sometimes happens. Sometimes. We have very clear ideas of what we're going to talk about sometimes. Mm. We don't plan it. We, we kind of um, we gather evidence and then we, we kind of just speak yeah. and see what comes out. Yeah. Um, so you, you got me thinking there. I mean, the, the, thing that, the thing that goes hand in hand with the length of a game, if a game is short, it doesn't matter if it is replayable. But you lead me to, to question how replayable this game is. Mm. I mean, I'd forgotten the twist, so actually it was a nice surprise for me playing through and getting there. Um, but now I know the twist, and I'm not going to forget the twist again because I've actually played it. Yeah. Um, but once you've got to the end of this game and you've got all the puzzle pieces, that's it. I mean, unless you want to replay again from scratch, there's nothing more for you to do, as far as I know. Um yeah. And maybe this game would be fun to replay again in a few years' time. It's one of those games that maybe you need to leave five years so that you forget how to solve all the puzzles. Kind of like I did with Majora's Mask. I've not played it for a couple of years, and even I'd forgotten some stuff on it. Um, but yeah, I just... I feel like... I mean, again, I played Celeste recently for, for the podcast, and that, that episode will be coming up. And... That game is full to the brim of things to do once you've got to the quote-unquote credits. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It's it's the value proposition of a game and how to measure that. So uh, it's, it's an interesting point you've raised. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because puzzle games, some puzzle games are very replayable. Like I, I don't know what you'd say, but. Like obviously we played Portal for the podcast um, a few months ago well, quite early on and you hadn't played it before and that's one of those games that once you've played it you kind of know what the themes are and you're done but I think that Portal is very replayable what what, what do you think about that? because you're not going to remember think, every single test chamber I think I could replay Portal in again it would be a couple of years um, I'd be happy to replay it again. I think the games like Portal, games like this, because I, I do think there's a similarity between them in that way. Yeah, you, you're replaying them for the experience rather than to 100%, challenge yourself to with, challenge yourself or whatever. You, you're replaying for the storyline for the. I mean, this and we we haven't really touched on it yet, but this game has got fantastic art style. This game's got great soundtrack. Yeah, as I said, really good writing. So you're replaying for those elements. Um, and the same with Portal. So that that's a fair point. And I think in a couple of years, I may well come to play this game again. And I'm sure I'll come to play Portal again. Um, 
So, yeah, it just... But sometimes, you know, when you get to the end of a game and you just want to replay it there and then, but like I don't I really see that there'd be much... Royal. Yeah, and I don't really see that there'd be much incentive to do it here because you'd just be replaying the same thing again. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's not something that I'll probably play again, um, but, but I did enjoy it. Uh, now, you mentioned there kind of the aesthetic and, and the sound. Now, I kind of put the, the look of this game... I, I think it feels a bit like a storybook. And obviously that's a theme that runs through the game because you're going to different books to pick up the story. But it's got very much like a children's art style of like an old um, children's fairy tale or storybook about it. It's a bit like it. a pop-up book. Yeah, 100%, which I think works really well for the kind of game that this is in a theme. And I just wanted to make note that this game does look brilliant. You know, the colours really pop. It, it stands out and it's very pleasing on the eye it's uh it's one of those things that the art the art style here has not aged a day as i no. said i played the 360 version probably running in 720p mm -hmm. um via my series x and you, you you wouldn't look at it for a second and say oh this game looks creaky or old or it's not aged well um it looks as fresh now as it did then same same with the sound as well the sound and the music in this game, the music in this game is really good because I think it's so simple. They don't have, you know, loads and loads of different instruments going on at the same time. It's all things like violin, um, very, not not basic, but it doesn't have loads of bells and whistles on it, which I think serves well with the aesthetic of the game, that the music and the sound really marry up to each other. Do you, would, you, would you agree? Yeah, I think this is... I get vibes of, again, knights and princesses and fantasy realms from the, from the soundtrack, and it's a nice soundtrack. And, and the clever thing with the soundtrack is when you rewind time, when you manipulate time, the soundtrack responds to that. Mm -hmm. So, say if you're using the ring to, um, and, and you're within the, so you're using the ring to slow down time around you. When you're in the vicinity of that ring, the music slows down to a crawl, and then as you get further and further away from the ring. It starts to pick up, pick up, pick up, and then it's moving normal speed again. Yeah. It's just really a clever touch. And it's this idea that that the time-twisting elements of this game are manipulating not just you, the character, but the world around you, the music, um, the visuals, everything. And it's, it's, um, it's really immersive in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it all fits in quite well. Now, this might answer the question of the question of the week, but I mentioned earlier that this game is quite widely accepted or debated as one of the really big indie titles that really launched indie titles to a higher platform. Before games like Braid, they weren't as widely accepted as you know, art or good games or to be taken seriously. But Braid is widely considered one of, if not the game, that really pushed that um, that message and that, that movement. So my question is, and I don't know whether or not you agree with that statement, it's fair enough if you don't, but why do you think that Braid is the game? that did that and not something else, not something like um, like Super Meat Boy or something that came out before, something like Fez. 
uh, or World of Goo, why this game? And it, it's similar to what I said about Half-Life 2 um, with being super high on the list, why that game over something else. But why do you think it was this game that re- people said push the movement of indies? See, I'm not, I'm not convinced that it was just this game. Mm-hmm. I think it was a bunch of great games that came along, did very different things around the same time. And I think Super Meat Boy, for example, is supposed to be... I've not played it either, so it's supposed to be a very, very tough platformer. Yeah. So it's very different. It's a very different game from, from Braid. But from what I've heard, an excellent game in its own right. And the same with Fez. And there are other games that came out around a similar time. I mean, the one that I, the, the, for me, a glaring omission from this list. And um, I mean, I don't know if I'll put it on my personal list, but I think it's a fantastic game. And probably one of the first indie games that I played is Journey. And a game's brilliant. And it was just this whirlwind of indie games that came along and took the world by storm and... I don't know. It's funny because I wasn't really interested in indie games, and then I played Journey, and I thought, okay, I think this happened with a lot of people. You started to see what an indie game could be, um, because I think for a long time it was just this idea of a low-budget game, which is wrong, obviously. Um, very skilled people making them, knowing what they're doing, and they're not constrained by by having these big budget requirements that, that, that large studios have. So they have to innovate because they don't have that budget. Um, so I don't necessarily think it was the, the single game. And I, I remember other games from that period more than I do Braid. Um, so I just think it was it was a bunch of games that came at that time. And you can take your pick which one of those was the one that pushed games forward. Um, and open that door. That's what they did. They opened a door for gamers. They opened a door for developers. And I think the other thing to consider in this conversation is the platforms that things are available on. Yeah. I mean, World of Goo, I don't necessarily think that that is... I, I, I think that is a game that came out of that time and it benefited from being it fresh, being tales. Well, yeah, and I, I think that game it may may have even come before Braid. I think um, it felt fresh and new, but it was it was a Nintendo um, eShop exclusive, so it had this very particular platform that you had to play it on. So, I mean, I didn't really know much about World of Goo before I saw that it was coming out on Switch. Um, it came out just after Braid. Okay, so all around a similar time, but yeah, so that was only available on on Nintendo eShop. Whereas Braid came out on Xbox, I presume it came out on PS3 as well? It did. PS3 and Xbox have got the same score on Metacritic. Right. And obviously it came to PC. So, and, and Fez came to consoles later, I think. Yeah. I think I'm right in well, saying that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of indie games that still haven't made the leap to... Um, to more modern consoles which is a shame like fez i mean we know why fez hasn't moved to a lot of consoles because phil fish is a dick but like fez would be fantastic on the switch 100 percent 
and they've just released one of my favorite indie games on the switch years after it came out called thomas was alone which i've told you about which is going to be in my my list when we, we get yeah. there but you've then got other indie games that are brilliant but have just never really made made the yeah, jump over it's... to like a game called apotheon brilliant like such a good indie but never really went much further than where it was released and then you've got other games that are coming out now like indie games like um among us that's an indie game and hades that was an indie game yeah so i think we're kind of in the second or, or maybe even third coming of indie games now but it's a shame that the the predecessors to them the big ones that really started pushing that movement like braid like fez like super meat boy they're still accepted as being fantastic but they're not pushed onto other platforms or other systems as much as games that are coming out today are you know and i, and I think that, that i think that's part of the reason why well, limbo i don't as well. remember sorry carry on i think that's one of the reasons i don't remember braid as much as other games because it's still if you're a console gamer it's still stuck on those old platforms yes you can play it with backwards compatibility but it's, it's not the ideal ways to play things no. um and as I said, I would have snapped up a, a version of this on the Switch. And for me, Journey opened the door for me to indie games. And I've played a bunch of them since. Um, I play the ones that appeal to me. But I mean, I think you're more into like um, the more platformy, side-scrolly stuff. I mean, I know you like Cuphead and things like that. Yeah, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah, I think, I think you're into a different type than I am. But I think there's probably a... a crossover as there is with other games that are mm. on this list for example um but yeah i played a bunch of there was there was um oh, i can't think of its name now there was there was there were some really excellent ones that were there were ps3 exclusive um flower this was the, yeah well, the flower was made by the same people that made journey yeah. it came before yeah. journey um I'm, I'm thinking of uh this one something the unfinished swan this one yeah unfinished swan which is a great game another great game um limbo i mean yeah so there's just there's just so many and I, I can't say enough good things about how glad i am that that journey opened that door for me um and it had to be journey because journey reminded me of things like eco on the ps2 so mm. it had to be something like journey that kicked that door open for me and i'm glad it did um so yeah, I just I just think there was a bit of a right an unsung time, right yeah I just think there was a bit of an unsung golden age for indie games during that time. There yeah. was just so much good stuff, and I mean as I said, you got the benefit of being able to say take your pick as to which one's the best one because no one's disagreeing because there are so many great games. Well, yeah, that's it, and. I mean, we'll we'll get to it eventually anyway. Like I just said, it is on my list. But anyone that wants to play a really good indie that is just chilled and is a nice experience, check out Thomas Was Alone because I feel it's the natural extension of where games like Braid and where games like Fez came from. But I don't know, it's just got a lot of heart to it. And like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one in due course when we both do our, our 10, 15 games or whatever it was. But yeah, there there are some really good indie games out there, and all you've got to do is a little bit of research, and you'll find stuff that will give you really special experiences. I think. 
and will will really stay with you like like you said with what what journey um gave to you or you know what what thomas was alone did for me and yeah i i think i've got a lot of respect for indie games and they're not all for me you know we weren't that yeah we weren't that fussed about minecraft but you know that there's <laughs> there's a reason why minecraft is as massive as it is um so yeah i suppose that brings us nicely to to our conclusion so what are your what are your final thoughts does braid deserve to be in this list and this is where it becomes interesting i suppose because uh, i mean i, I I've been very positive and I, and I think because um, I completed this game well about a week ago maybe more than a week ago now and I'm surprised sometimes things settle so when I when I complete a game I like to give it a bit of time to settle um, to see where I'm where I'm standing with it and I think this game I've I appreciate this game more having completed it just over a week ago i think he did some really good stuff um i think i think some of the like i said some of the puzzles can be i don't want to say cheap but i think they could do a better job doing of of i suppose laying them out so that you logically come to that conclusion the other thing that i'd say is um a lot of the worlds they have the same levels that they play on differently. This is great from a design perspective, um, but in terms of the whatever number of time you get to the one with the six enemies and the and the ramps visually, and it starts to feel a touch repetitive, a touch repetitive, even though the, the approach to doing it is completely different um, visually and that it becomes a touch repetitive. That being said, I would put this on the list. Um, maybe I put it a touch higher than it is because I know it's quite low down on the list. Ninety four. I think it's. Yeah, for example, I think it's better than World of Goo. Um, I yeah. think that was higher than it, and I think this is better than that. Um, so I would put it higher than that personally, depending how high that is. That could be, for all I know, within twenties or thirties. That's probably not, but um, yeah, I think it deserves to be a touch higher and. I will always be an advocate for different games on this list. And the fact is, we've not played anything quite like this, um, playing through this top 100. So for me, it's a yes. How yeah, about you? I, I agree with you. It's it's not always my kind of game. And there were times where I wasn't having the best time with it, but there were also times where I was enjoying it. And I wouldn't say I was surprised by this game because I knew that I, I knew that it was probably very good. Um, but th- th- there were no surprises here, I don't think. But I'd agree with you that it does definitely deserve to be higher than World of Goo. I also can't remember where World of Goo places on this list. Um, but I don't think that it's uh, it should be higher than a game like Braid. Um, but with that being said, you know that th- there aren't too many. Um, there aren't too many indie games on this list. No, we've um, got another one coming up in a couple of couple of episodes, which is Celeste. Which I'm really intrigued as to what you'll think of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking really forward to playing I'm a fan that. Fan of it. Just to just in case you're interested, um, I don't know what what 
part of the list it comes in, but World of Goo has a Metacritic score of 94, um, so one point more than Braid. So I don't know how many more points that takes it above. I reckon that pushes Braid. it. I, I don't think it's in the last third of the list because on my phone, the uh, the last third of the list appears on a different page and I think it appears before that. So I'd say probably within the top 60 somewhere. Mm, maybe. That'd be but, my guess. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a funny one. But yeah, this, this game does deserve to be on the list. A bit higher than it is, um, but not top 50, I don't think. But... I, no. I'd echo what I said about uh, Ocarina of Time. It may not be the best game of all time, but this is a very important game. Um, yeah. And I don't think that can be contested, really. Yeah. Um, I speak in absolutes. But yeah, that... We are in agreement. We which are. Which we're not always in, but we are in agreement. We are today. So we'll see how we get on next time, though. We may not agree with the next game that we're covering. So what are we playing next time? Please and We probably will you. agree, actually. <laughs> Having completed it already. Um, so next time we are playing... Uh, this this episode may be in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. We are playing Grand Theft Auto Chinatown Wars, originally released on the Nintendo DS. Grand Theft Auto game on the Nintendo. Don't know how I feel about that. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's next time. Like Dan said, probably in a couple of weeks because uh, I think we've released three or four episodes now um, on the trot, so we want to take a, a week off just to fo- kind of focus on GTA and then, then on Celeste. So, as always, you can reach out to us on social media or on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com. Feel free to send us an email for a bit of a chat, what you want to, pl- what you want to see us play, your thoughts on any of the games we've covered so far um and yeah we just appreciate you listening we appreciate any of you that are following or subscribing if you know anyone that might enjoy this podcast please do feel free to um to give us a share it would be greatly appreciated to get in more people's ears but yeah that's all from me really anything else from you today considering that i am currently and i'm sure you are the same um shut inside my spare room with the window shut with fans off, sweltering. Um, I really quite enjoyed this episode, so I hope I hope our listeners do too. Yes, despite my very sweaty hands that I currently have, this has been a uh, this has been a good episode. So, yeah, as you say, we we hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time for Grand Theft Auto: Chinatown Wars. Enjoy the sun if you're in Britain. If not, then don't enjoy the sun there you go uh but yeah take care and we'll see you on the next one cheerio see you on the next one